Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, he has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, Paul starts off, he says, verse 1. I'm going to go through the first hunk of this. For the sake of time, I, there's just too much. I've bitten off more than I can chew. And I, I'm just going to go through the first part and we'll get on to the second part. So bear with me. He says in verse 17, I insist on this. In the Lord. No longer live as the Gentiles do. No longer live as the people of Amisham do. No, I insist on this. This is important. It's a strong word. It says that them out there, they don't think right because their heart isn't right. Because they, they don't believe right. They're futile. They're in darkness. They're separated from God. But you, you know Christ. You've heard him. You've been taught in him. So you, you can live according to the truth that is in Christ. And this is it. This is the truth 
that is in Christ. Three things you've been taught to put off your old self. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Put off the old self, he says, which is being corrupted. Put on the new that's created to be like God. And we've got the old self and we've got the new self. And he says three things about each. The old self is to do with your former way of life that's now gone. He says your old self has been put off. Your old self is being corrupted. The new self is to do with being made new in your mind. It has been put on. And it's created to be like God. Now it's interesting, isn't it? He uses the past tense. You don't get it in the English. The old self has been put off. The new self has been put on. But as well as that in the past, he says you've got to keep doing it now, today, tomorrow. Keep doing it. And the image he's using, the words are are like you take off your clothes, you put them aside, and then you put on the new set of clothes. And I've got some old gardening clothes in the garage and I go into the garden very rarely, very rarely, but I do sometimes. And I come back and I take off the gardening clothes and I put them there. And I would just leave them there and I'd come back and wear them next time. But Pauline says, no, you can't do that. I'm going to wash them. Don't leave them there dirty. So she takes them away and washes them. But that's what you do. You take off and you put away. And then you put on the new set of clothes. That's the image. It's a strong image. There's a bit you can't do. The new self is created to be like God. You can't do that for yourself. The new self is renewed in the attitude of your mind. It's made new. You can't do that for yourself. But there's a bit you can do for yourself. That's to put off and to put on. You see, God has surgically removed from you the old self that you couldn't get rid of yourself. You couldn't do that. You were dead in your sins. You were lost. You were in darkness. You couldn't do that, but God did. He came by his spirit. He surgically removed the old self. So now you've got a choice. Now you don't have to put it on. Oh, you could. You could go back to the smelly old gardening clothes. You could. You could put them back on, but Why would you do that? They're filthy. They're smelly. They're the clothes of death. Why would you put them back on? No, 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 says Paul. Put on the new self. I've given you a new set of clothes. I've given you a brand new suit. It's from heaven. It's made of the material of heaven. It's got heaven's logo, heaven's branding. It's wonderful. Wear that instead. Don't go back to the old. I insist on it, says Paul. Therefore, he says, this is coming to verse 25 now. What does this new self look like compared with the old self? And he gives in these verses, there are five don'ts, five do's and five reasons. Five put-offs, if you like, five put-ons and five whys. He says, don't speak falsely anymore. Don't do that. Speak the truth. This is in the context of the body. Remember, he's talking to God's new family, God's new society. That's us. Don't speak false things to each other. Speak the truth, because we're one body. He says, in your anger, do not sin. It's okay to be angry, he says. There's an anger that's all right, that's righteous. But, 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 don't let your anger get control of you. Don't let it become sin, Don't let it get a grip on you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. You've got to deal with it before then. 
Otherwise, the devil's got a foothold. That's no good. So don't blaze with anger out of control, out of a proper proportion. No, no, no. Get control of it. Don't steal anymore, he says. Don't cheat. Don't pursue dishonest gain. Don't look for a, an easy way through. He says, no, you've got to work productively with your hands. Work well. Work hard. And that way, get something to share with others. That's the why. To bless others. He says, get rid of rotten talk. Don't let rotten, bad fruit in your conversation, unwholesome talk. Don't let that rotten, unproductive, useless stuff, don't let that come out of your mouth. No, no. Out of your mouth should come that which is helpful for building up others. So that it's a benefit to them, he says. That's the why. And he says, get rid of bitterness and anger and rage and every kind of malice. Be kind, forgiving. Because that's how Christ was to you, he says. That's the why. Christ was like that with you. You're members of his body. You should be like that with each other. Follow the way of love, he says, as Christ has done. You can look at that list. Take a moment, have a look. See anything of yourself there? Is there anything there where your father might be saying to you, come on, my son, come on, my daughter. You know how I love you. You know how my son Jesus loved you, went to the cross to save you, to bring you to myself, because you mean that much to me. Don't live like that. Don't lie and cheat and get angry with your brothers. Don't talk like that. No, no, no. Be like me instead. Come on. That's what I want for you. Just as I love you, show that love to others. Come on, put that old stuff aside. Put on the new. Let me help you. This is my family. That's how we do things here. Be like me. This new self, it's like me to reflect me. That's how I want you to live. Show them on the outside what I'm like, what you're like. So I can save them too. I insist on it, says Paul, in the name of the Lord. No longer. Put off the old, put on the new. You've already had it done. It's happened once. Keep doing it. Then he moves on, chapter 5, verse 3. He moves on from our behaviour towards each other, from relationships within the body, to more general lifestyle matters. And he's talking in the midst of a godless culture around us. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place. Now you see we live in the midst of a godless society don't we? You know it, I know it. I've worked in an office for 35 years and now there are far worse environments than an accountant's office in Chorley Woods, which has always had Christians working there. There are far worse places than that, I know. But even so, even so, you know how it is in your workplace or wherever you spend significant time with groups or with people who aren't Christians. We live in the middle of enemy-occupied territory where the values and the language and the behaviour of the culture are not helpful to and are often hostile to the truth of God. And the centre of gravity of culture has shifted and is shifting very fast. To live godly lives is not easy. And if you're young, I think it's even harder. And in a world where Paul says, 
as we started, people have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. He says to us, there must be not even a hint of that. What they embrace is specifically what we must avoid. It's the same list of three things, sexual immorality, impurity, greed. Now we've been watching Love Island, the three of us in our house. Now I know if you've seen the news today, there's some very sad news to do with Love Island. I wrote this before I heard that, but let's leave that aside. But Love Island, I say we've been watching it, that's a statement of fact, it's not a recommendation. Love Island is set in a luxury villa with a pool in the sun in South Africa. In Love Island, everybody wears very little. In Love Island, everybody is young, they're fit, they're attractive. In Love Island, all the blokes work out and all the girls seem to invest an awful lot of time trying to support the cosmetics industry. (laughs) Love Island is all about coupling up. And when you couple up, you share a bed. Although all the beds are in one big dormitory. And then other people come and join the island and the couples are temporarily separated and then they have to choose to recouple or to stay in their existing couple and gradually they all get voted off the island until there's only one winning couple left. At least that's as far as I've understood it. It may be a lot more subtle than that, but I doubt it. Now, Love Island is mainstream viewing for a certain demographic, although it would have been absolutely unthinkable a generation ago. But our culture is given over to sensuality and the elevation of sexuality to a ridiculous level is everywhere, outside of any godly context. It's everywhere in cinema and TV and advertising and magazines and literature, you name it. And with it also comes this subliminal message, which I think is actually the more harmful part of something like Love Island. More than the more obvious thing of what they wear or don't wear or their sleeping arrangements. The message is it's what you look like that's important. The bar is set pretty near perfection and you've got to get there to to get any sort of acceptance. And measuring up to that is the, the means of getting what you want in terms of relationships. And pursuing your own agenda in relationships is the way to happiness. But sexual immorality, impurity, they're only the first two of the things on Paul's list there in verse 3. Did you notice the third one? Greed. There must be amongst us not even a hint of greed. And the word means simply the desire for more. That's the word. More than I have today. More than I had yesterday. More than I need. More for its own sake. Excess. Now that might be a bit closer to home for some of us than the sexual immorality thing. Not a hint of sexual immorality despite the culture around us and not a hint of the desire for more that is never satisfied, that always wants more, that is also all around us. And that desire, that could be for sex or for money or for food or for holidays or for leisure time or for you name it. But it's the very opposite of the command in Hebrews 13, to be content with what you have. And Paul puts it right there alongside sexual immorality and impurity, the values of our culture that we're to shun. And then he moves on in verse 4 to obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking which are out of place. They don't belong. They're improper for God's holy people, it says. Now, it's not completely clear what these words mean. They're all unique here in the New Testament. The root words mean something like shameful speech, 
The talk of fools, and you remember fools are those who don't know God and deny God, and inappropriate joking. So, with a certain freedom, let me just put a, a certain take on it that might be culturally relevant. You see, humour is a massive deal in our culture, isn't it? There's a new word for it, or at least a new take on an old word. It's called banter, often abbreviated to bants. It was great bants last night. Now, bants, I'm sure, can just be healthy fun. I'm not attacking everybody who's ever used the word not at all. But so much of humour in our culture is not healthy fun. There's barely a comedian who doesn't resort to sexual crudity on primetime TV. And that's accepted nowadays. That's the norm. I remember going to um, a live thing in Watford of, I'm, I'm sorry I haven't a clue, you know, that quiz game. And so, of course, it's longer than you actually get on the radio it's very witty, very clever, but it's a longer when you actually go it live. And I was astonished because the demographic was, you know, the sort of the great and the good, the middle class of Middle England, and most of them were older than me. And yet the diet of this humour, far more than you get on the radio, it was double entendre, it was sexual humour the whole time. I was amazed. That was digression, I've lost my place. But so much of it is negative in tone. It's cynical, it's destructive, it's abusive. It's used to cut other people down, to humiliate, to mock, and even to be cruel. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And there's a whole world of stuff, isn't it, that's shared on social media. Much of it is humour related. And what do you receive on your social media? What do you pass on? What's your banter like? What would Paul say? Any obscenity there? Any foolish talk? Any coarse joking? Now here's my, this is my real burden. This stuff is all around us in our culture. Sensuality, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse jesting. They are the product of futile thinking, darkened understanding, separation from the life of God, Paul says. But we are God's new humanity. We've put off the old man who was part of that world, cut off from God. We've put on the new, created to be like God. So how should we live? How should we interact with those around us who are different from us in the most fundamental way? And here's my concern, is that sometimes actually we don't see any need to live differently. It could be that we're afraid to seem boring and irrelevant. We don't want to stand out as odd. We don't want to visibly live or talk differently in any way that can make our friendships awkward. We don't want to risk that. We don't want to break ranks. We want to be a man of God and one of the lads. And besides, of course, we want to share God's love with them, don't we? We want to witness to them, maybe even invite them to church. So we'd better not put them off. Much better just to you know, fit in for the sake of the kingdom. Or if it's not that, it might simply be that we don't see any problem. Nothing wrong with fitting in. Yeah, I'm cool about that. I can handle it. Don't want to be too boring. Have a laugh, have a joke, have a drink, fool around a bit. Hey, a little bit's okay. You've got to have fun. All right, it's a little bit dodgy, but that's normal life nowadays. Doesn't matter, I won't go too far, whatever too far is. Don't be so uptight, it was different in your day. We can even go so far as to be mocking towards those who take holiness a bit more seriously than we do. I vividly remember many years ago, 
when the SDP were a political party. That shows how long ago it was. But I heard one Christian friend of mine mock another Christian friend in the same church as us by referring to him as an SDP, specially dedicated prat. He mocked him for taking his walk with Christ so seriously. And that is a very dangerous thing to do. What does Paul say? He is very clear. There must be not even a hint of these things among you. 5 verse 3. Do not be partners with them, he says. 5 verse 7. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. 5.11. Because there's two different worlds. Those who are dead in sin and those who are alive in Christ. There are non-Christians who can only live as the old man, corrupted by its deceitful desires. And there are Christians who've put on the new man, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. There are those still in darkness and there are those who are light in the Lord. Christians, you are poles apart from those who live in the world. Chalk and cheese, night and day, you're diametrically opposite. This whole passage, it's about opposites. There's this or that. You can live like this or you can live like that. It's about them and you, the old man and the new man, darkness and light. Paul says this is the truth. So you've got to live like it. Your lives must be different, radically different. Because through the grace of God, you are radically different from those who are still in their sins. All he's telling you to do is live out the truth, to be who you are, be yourselves. James 4.4 says that friendship towards the world is hatred towards God. That's strong. You can't be friends with both. Therefore, Paul says, he's quoting 2 Corinthians 6, come out from them and be separate. Now, our danger... It's not that we're too different, too separate from the world in our lifestyle to be able to reach them. That's not our danger. I don't think we have to worry about that too much. Our danger is that we might be too close, too similar, precisely because we're afraid to be too different. But that's how we're called to live. To live lives that are distinct, distinct as children of the light who've been brought out of the darkness in which we used to live. Now, why is this so important? Paul gives some key reasons in this passage why we should live holy lives that are distinctively different. Firstly, because we want to please the Lord. Find out, he says in verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. How does he say we should live? That's what matters if we want to please him. Well, like father, like son is the answer. That's how we should live. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Jesus said, if you've seen me, if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. So too for us, in some measure, in a small way that becomes ever greater as we cooperate with his transforming work in our lives, so too with us, we should be able to see. If you've seen us, you've seen some reflection of the Father because we imitate him. That's a new self that we put on was created to be like him. So if we put on the new self which is like him, if we produce the fruit of that new self, goodness, righteousness and truth, verse 8, then we will be imitating him and we will please him. 
Just as any father is thrilled to see his kids doing what is right, doing what he's shown them, obeying what he's taught them. That thrills any parent. And just as any child, deep down, deep down, they want to please their parents, don't they? That's true. They want to win their approval. They want to please them. may get a bit strained in teenage years, but I still cling to it. So we too will find the greatest peace, the greatest satisfaction in pleasing our Heavenly Father by living our lives as he commands us to. Secondly, Paul says, it's important so that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, we've received the Spirit, haven't we, when we're born again. He's with us to help us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to lead us into all truth. To be our life's guide and our companion right through to glory. The day of redemption when we stand before the Father and the Son who's brought us with his blood. He is the presence of Jesus within us. He's the life of God within us. He is the love of the Father poured out into our hearts. But if we grieve him by how we talk, by how we behave, by how we live, as if he wasn't there, as if we weren't children of the light and sons of God, if we cause him to withdraw from us, if we rupture the intimate relationship by our willful impurity, by our choice to indulge our greed, by our lapse into coarse joking, then we quickly find the joy is gone, the peace is gone. Actually, we're lost without him. And I can, think of my, I can think of times in my office when I've been just too casual. I've joined in conversations I should have walked away from. I've said things for the sake of a laugh. I've crossed a line and just gone that step too far, despite knowing I shouldn't. And I've had to say sorry quickly because I've known inside. I've grieved him. I've betrayed him. For the sake of what? For a cheap laugh, for a little bit of cheap popularity. What a fool, what a fool. See, we cannot grieve him and have fellowship with him at the same time. And we're the losers every time when we treat him too casually as if it didn't really matter. It does matter to him, so it must also matter to us. Third reason, Paul says. Very clear, verses 5 to 7. These lifestyle sins matter enormously to God. Let's read verses 5 and 6. Of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, no such person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. See, God's anger comes on those who don't know him and therefore live habitually in these sinful ways that he commands us to avoid. Sexual immorality and greed and obscenity, these arouse God's anger. There is a judgment for sin. Let no one deceive you with empty words, says Paul. Don't let anyone tell you, oh, it doesn't really matter. There's no judgment. God doesn't really get that angry. No, it's lies, Paul says. That's lies. So if it's that serious, and if friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God, as James says... And if Satan is at work in this world amongst those who are disobedient, as Paul says in chapter 2, then surely it's very clear we should have absolutely nothing to do with the sins that belong to the corrupt old self. We should steer as far clear as we can. So you don't want to be in the wrong place. You don't want to be in the enemy trenches. 
fraternising, sharing a drink with your sworn foe just before the bombardment comes from your own side. You don't want to be stuck in the enemy trench. Do not be partners with them, Paul says. The immoral, the impure and the greedy on whom God's wrath is coming. Don't join in with them. See, be very clear that a battle is on. And your enemy wants to lure you over to his camp any way he can. There was a wonderful film when I was young. Oliver, the musical, 1968. Fantastic. I made our kids watch the DVD. I hope they liked it. Did you like it? See, Oliver is an orphan. He's fallen in with Fagin, his gang of pickpocket urchins living in the slums. Oliver was out on his first job with them, first pickpocketing job, when it went wrong and he was arrested. Although he hadn't actually done anything except not run away quick enough. But the kindly old gentleman that they were trying to rob, Mr. Brownlow, he took him in. He got rid of his rags. He gave him new smart clothes. He welcomed him into his home. It seemed like Oliver's now on the path to a new life. But then he went out to do an errand for Mr. Brownlow to pay for some books. And Fagin's gang found him. And Bill Sykes kidnapped him and took him back. And there he is back in the the slums with the gang. All his nice clothes are gone. His new life is over. He's been kidnapped back. Although, of course, there was a happy ending. But you see, that could be you. The enemy will lure you back. He'll grab you back if he can. You can wear again the clothes of your old self that you've put aside. If you are not on guard, the stakes are very high. So don't be found in the wrong camp. Be careful, not casual. Don't flirt with your enemy and risk losing what Christ has won for you. Steer very clear in how you live and how you speak. Final reason Paul gives in this passage for being distinctively holy in your living. It's for the sake of your witness. You see, it's not your similarity that's going to win people to the gospel. It's not being like them. It's exactly the opposite in scripture. It's your distinctiveness. Look at verses 11 to 13. Paul says, you are light in the Lord. And he says, because you're light, you shine on what's in darkness and you expose it by making it visible. But then that gives the people you've shone on, it gives them the chance to respond to the gospel and they can become light themselves. They might scuttle away and hide, but they might respond as one waking from sleep, as one rising from the dead, as Christ shines on them through us. But if you're not distinct, If you don't give the light of Christ within you the chance to shine on them, then actually you are depriving them of the chance to respond to the gospel. So let your light shine before men, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, so that they may see your good deeds and they too might come to know and then glorify your Father in heaven. Don't hide your light. Don't deny them that chance, even if living distinctly might be costly for you. Don't blend in in the dark. Shine by your distinctive lifestyle and your speech. So you have to live a distinctively different life from the world. Do not be partners with them. But just to be very clear, very clear, Paul is not saying avoid them. He's not saying don't have non-Christian friends. He's not saying don't seek to win people for Christ. He's not saying don't be like Jesus who gladly ate and drank with sinners and was called a glutton and a wine-bibber for doing so. No, 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 no. We must do that. We're called to do that. We need to do that more and more. But 
it's on our terms, or rather on Jesus' terms. See, he never compromised himself in an effort to win people. His distinctiveness was what drew people to him. He was different. The religious people hated it. Sinners loved it. We should love people. We should go to them, seek them out any way we can, as long as our lives and our speaking remain true to who we are, the children of light, sons and daughters of our Father, whom we faithfully imitate. Now that does mean, no matter how much we want to reach people, it does mean there are some places we can't go. There are some things we can't do, even for the sake of reaching out. There may even be some people whose company we should avoid for our own safety. But the principle is this. As long as we have the chance to affect them, rather than them affecting us, then we are following in Christ's footsteps. As long as our light can shine in the darkness, and on those who are in darkness, without the darkness overcoming it, then we're okay. So Paul said, don't be partners with them in their sin, but he didn't say avoid them. He said, it's the fruitless deeds of darkness we should have nothing to do with, not the people who commit those deeds who desperately need Christ. Like Paul Lynch, remember, told us um, years ago, but when he started in the fire service, before he entered the ministry. I remember him saying, his colleagues, you know, between calls when they had spare time, his colleagues used to watch porn, which of course he wasn't going to do. But he didn't just avoid that. Instead, what did he do? He, he, he used the time to cook breakfast for them, to serve them breakfast. That's letting your light shine before men. You know, by all means, go out for a drink with your, with your non-Christian mates. That's fine, that's great. Just don't get drunk with them. Rather, you be there to help them when they're drunk. You be there to help them get home safely. Call them a cab. Love them. Hate the sin, yes, but love the socks off the sinner. And Paul concludes this part of his letter, verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live. He started off, 4.17, I insist on this in the Lord. Very strong language. This is the same here. He finishes off equally strongly. Be very careful. Take care how you live. Consider it. Actually look at it, the Greek says. Give it your attention. Don't just blunder along without giving it a second thought. He says, be wise. Act and speak in ways you won't regret later. You won't feel a fool Be aware of what's at stake. See and know what God wants. Understand why and then put it into practice. How am I going to relate to that person that I keep getting wound up by and makes me angry? What am I going to do about that? Let me be careful. What about that opposite sex friendship that has the potential to trip me up? Let's let's think. How am I going to handle this in a godly way? My group of mates where, you know, sometimes it just goes a bit too far. I just let myself go along with it instead of drawing a line. How am I going to tackle that next time? Let's give this some thought. The next time I get the chance, I could just cut that financial corner. Just bend the rules a bit for a bit of financial gain. What am I going to do? Let's decide now. How am I going to approach that next time? That stuff I watch. Is it, is it healthy for my walk with God? Let's think about this. Am I grieving the Holy Spirit? The stuff I post online, the stuff that I put on my social media account, seems funny at the time, but do I please him? Or am I just going for a cheap and crude laugh? Now, there may be some things 
Well, it's a gray area. It's a matter of judgment. Is that okay for me or is it not? But take care, Paul says. Consider it wisely. Decide. Don't just drift. Now, if you can tell me you've thought about it, you've weighed it up, you've considered it before God, for you, you don't believe that crosses a line, that's fine. As long as scripture doesn't speak clearly against it, then that's fine. No one else can tell you yes or no. But don't tell me, oh, it's fine, if you haven't done what Paul says, if you haven't been careful, if you haven't taken a good look, if you haven't thought about it and been wise. If you haven't done that, don't say, oh, it's fine. Be intentional, intentional about how you live, says Paul. Make the most of every opportunity. Almost literally, seize the day, the language is. Use the day for good. Don't just live through it till bedtime. Okay, that's it, another day gone. No, make the most of the day. Understand what the Lord's will is. Know what he wants for you and pursue it. And be filled with the Spirit. That's always his will for you. Be filled with the Spirit. There's a lot in Ephesians about fullness. Be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, he's prayed in chapter 3. Well, here he says, continually, be filled with the Spirit. Oof, how do you do that? Well, you ask him for his Spirit. You spend time with him, you ask him. You put off the old, you put on the new every day. You walk in the way of love. You live in obedience. You intentionally seek to understand his will and to please him and not to grieve the spirit. Other things as well, but that's a pretty good start. Because he gives his spirit generously to those who ask and seek to live their lives to please him. I want to finish this morning in a slightly different way from usual. Last Friday I was preparing this and... The Lord reminded me of something I'd read 35 years ago in a Christian magazine. It was a short article, anonymous article. It really spoke to me at the time. It was the gist of it. He said, God might be calling you to what seems like a, a narrower walk than others. Things that others seem to do or say and that seems fine for them. God says to you, no, that's not for you. Or where others may seem to have free time to do this and do that, God may be calling you to come aside with him instead. It seems like a different standard for you compared with some others. And God brought that back to me. And it relates, you see, to this passage. It relates to two things, to the call to holy living. And it relates to living intentionally, to making the most of every opportunity. And this is what I wrote down on Friday. This is just as I prayed. I haven't polished it. This is just as I wrote. And I hope this might speak to some people particularly, maybe. So the Lord calls you. The Lord is calling you to lay that thing aside. He says, come and spend time with me. No, no, not not that, he says. No, no, come and seek me instead. And I'll show myself to you. The Lord's calling you to keep short accounts. He's calling you to walk a narrow path. Things that may seem to be fine for others, they seem able to do that. The Holy Spirit says to you, no, no, don't you go there. I don't want you to say that. Now you need to confess that. You need to sort that out. And then come, follow me. It doesn't matter about others, what they do or don't do. This is my call to you. My Holy Spirit is speaking to you, not them. I'm leading you deeper. I'm calling you closer. Come and know me. For you, there's no time for that. There's no space for that. There's no slack. There's no room for that sin, for for that casualness or that ease, that comfort. 
That may be right for others, but not you. If you want to know me as I want you to, I'm calling you to deny yourself so that you might follow me. And if you'll embrace my call, then you'll seek me and you'll find me. And I will walk with you and I'll talk with you and you'll know my voice and you'll know my heart. And then I can lead you and I can show you all in good time the things I have for you. My call on your life. But it starts with this call today to follow me, to embrace my pruning, to submit to my spirit's rule in your life, in your speaking, in your listening, in your watching, in your use of time. You can't grieve my spirit and also embrace my spirit. Tomorrow starts today if you will embrace my call to a narrow walk, to a closer walk and to leave behind other things that will hinder for the sake of this one big thing that you might know me. I believe that's the Lord's call to some people particularly, but it's the Lord's call in some measure to all of us. Let's just pray, shall we? Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.